Okay, Jacob, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much, and thank you for having me uh, having me on. Not a problem at all. So tell me, where in the where in the world are you at the moment? Right now, I am in beautiful Kuala Lumpur, in uh, which is the capital city of Malaysia. For those listening who don't know, so yeah, I'm uh, halfway across the world from you. I think you're in somewhere in Northumberland, am I right? Yeah, so I'm I'm in the northeast. Yeah, I'm about a half hour outside of Newcastle at the minute. Um, so okay. I went to I went to university there. Ah, okay, very good. Yeah, so yeah. It's, um, it's not too bad. I'm I'm kind of rural, so it's quite nice. But um, yeah, enjoying enjoying lockdown with the rest of Britain at the moment. Yeah, I heard you guys started a full a full lockdown yesterday, right? Yeah. So so how that pans out and whether it's whether it's four weeks or four months again, but but who mm. knows? So, so one crossed. of my one of my friends back there was already saying. Um, it might extend it, it, they were already thinking of extending it past the 4th of december you know because in, in my experience cause we, we had a full lockdown here in malaysia some months ago mm. and to be quite honest i think that's what I, that's what helped us keep the cases down because we're, we're um we were doing pretty well our cases were in the tens not the hundreds and let alone thousands um earlier this earlier this year and we had full lockdown for about three three and a half months um and I and from what I've been watching from a distance because my family is still in the UK and everything and I've been watching from a distance and kind of reading and seeing what what people have been how people have been handling it how people mm. have been responding to it and I just think uh, not that I know anything about politics and what have you but I think the, the, the governments did a very very poor job of trying to and, and trying to keep everybody happy and trying to pander to different groups the, yeah. the whole the, the whole tiered system like tier three this or mixing households with tier one whatever whatever it was it was nonsense and people couldn't get their heads around it mm. so i think yeah. that's the thing it's um there has to be sort of a balance between as you say trying to keep people happy but also just you know if it's a short sharp you know pain, yeah, pain exactly. for a little while then then in the long run i think it pays off but um yeah, it's, it is yeah, interesting true. i guess when you know when it we, is i mean it's it's everyone's favorite word but of course these are unprecedented times i mean what the hell do you really do what can you do exactly so i appreciate it's a horror it must be a horrible job for everybody involved who's who's involved in, in, the, in the logistics of this thing but, but i'm not sure I, I feel like yeah it was it was tough on a lot of people in malaysia and, and a lot of people are suffering um because of the because uh, of the lockdown but also i think that's what helped keep cases down for so mm. long here um it shouldn't have to i mean in my extremely uh well, I don't want to say uneducated, but in my extremely uh, vague opinion, I think the UK should have done this a long time ago. Because yeah. you, th- you think you think back to the summer months and when the when the, when the heat wave was on, and you know you know us Brits love a heat wave. Uh, as soon as the temperature hits 15 degrees, we're all outside with our with our tops off. Yeah. So I I get trying to trying to keep people to, trying to keep people indoors during that would have been extremely tough. However, people mm. were still flocking to the beach. People were still just. Uh, playing around in parks like there was no there was nothing nothing going on so i think at least a better balancing act would have been yeah i certainly feel like we we maybe saw things improving and then just jumped at the opportunity to sort of be out and enjoy it um i guess i guess forgetting that um you know it was inevitably going to come back so in in terms in terms of malaysia are are things you know as fairly normal is i think are most are most sort of shops and i guess gyms open or is it still sort of a lockdown life over there 
it's it's kind of back to normal so we we've had um different phases if you like so everyone's into the same phase at the same i guess the difference is that the uk has tiers of different yeah. areas simultaneously whereas we just went through so in in march we went through a, a four was it four months three and a half months four months proper lockdown phase called mco which stood for movement control order and that was very much all work from home only essential services basically what you guys in the uk are about to go through like all yeah. shops everything all, all schools shops apart from supermarket closed and, and so on and so forth so we did that for about three and a half months and then we had a couple of months um, of what was called the rmco and the r there stood for recovery which they uh, which involved like some restaurants opening up but only for a maximum capacity um a lot of strict uh, standards and standards of standard operating procedures implemented in a lot of other shops like I don't know, tattoo parlors and mm. places with a lot so, so places started to reopen slowly but with under, under strict guidelines and and, more, and people seem to be generally pretty good at adhering to them and everyone's in a face mask and, and all of that so we're still in we're still in a um Oh no! Well, now we're in the conditional. I think so. We had an R, we've had an MCO, an RMCO, and a CMCO. And the C right. stands for the C stands for conditional. I'm not right. sure exactly what the difference is between the two, but like <laughs> we, we've had we've had relative freedom. But recently, uh, we had an election in the east in East Malaysia, which is over a narrow channel of sea, um, in a place called Sabah, which is one of the states, so okay. a separate island but part of the country. So they had elections in Sabah, and people were allowed to travel back to vote in those elections mm-hmm. for some stupid reason and, uh, and now and now it's a ground zero for um, the cases there so yeah. so the case numbers have actually been shooting up recently in 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 malaysia so we're now there's talk now of going back under a an enforced lockdown period yeah I, th- I think it's 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 interesting isn't it when you sort of look out across the world as to how different places have tackled it i mean um you know normally i would be sat uh, so normally I work at, out in Mallorca, and that's where I would normally oh, work. Wow. And when you when you look across, obviously mainland Spain's really been hit hard, and then you kind of look at the islands, and yeah, they struggled a little bit. Um, obviously in the summer, just through the, the sheer number of people flocking to them, <laughs> mainly British people, which I guess yeah. then came back and sort of bit, <laughs> bit us in 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 the autumn. Um, but certainly when you look across, and you know I've got friends in Australia and New Zealand, and they're sat there with not a single case it's it's very much something that clearly can be done um it's just as you say jumping on it quick enough and and then yeah. when you don't it's almost a constant game of catch-up and as you say it can be something you know I, I i'm sure they were aware of the risk of people kind of moving around to vote but uh probably didn't expect it and now all of a sudden it's 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 as you say yeah. you're moving up exactly. to those ranks again exactly uh, we were all quite we were all quite surprised because at first because the government did a very good job at first of just saying right full up and because bear in mind the kind of, the kind of economy and the kind of um, I mean, K- Kuala Lumpur, KL is a very cosmopolitan place, very westernized, but there's, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of low income, um, low income owners here, uh, yeah. and certainly throughout Malaysia too. And so it, it move and, and so a movement control order or a lockdown will, will really hits a lot of them uh, disproportionately hard because they're the ones who are who are making a living off street food stalls or yeah. or otherwise kind of low income earning like that. And so it was a very very tough decision for like I'm sure for the government to say right full lockdown, but it, it was it was just the it was just the discipline the order that we needed right there, there no um no allowances here or only very very special cases there but, and it, but it's kind of the opposite to what the uk tried to do was trying to say okay you guys can have you guys can have one tier and you can have one tier and you can have another and but really especially at the very beginning when no one knew what no one really knew how 
contagious and risky and dangerous this thing is or was. Um, we just needed that right. All stay indoors, lock them, and we'll mm. see how this rides out, you know? Um, yeah. But also, uh, I'll be honest, and, and I'll, 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 one thing which really struck me, and I think this is the difference between the likes of the New Zealand and, and, and Britain, is that if you, even if you tried to do that in Britain, you, there would be riots. Because yeah. the British, the British are terrible at, at, at being told what to do. Even yeah. when, even when uh, one of my friends, British guy out here, he flew back for lockdown. He flew back to the UK to be with his family just before we went into lockdown here. And he was so he was we were sharing experiences, and he was saying how some people had reacted to the news. This, this was a few months ago when when Boris said that you could only go out for exercise once a day or something. Mm. You know, there was that one exercise day. Well, some people who hadn't been on a jog since 1997 <laughs> were sudden were suddenly like. Oh, you can't tell me what to do. You, you Boris can't do that. I'm, I'm going to go outside and jog right now. It's I'm in like, training. And then, and then, and then they, they dust off their old pair of trainers and go running yeah. just because, just because they were told that they can't. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Brit, Brit, the, the British, and I speak as a Brit, of course, having you know, born and raised there and everything. Mm. But the British are terrible at following instructions. No, it's weird. I, I... We're, we're, we're really good at queuing and we're really yeah. good at other things. But we, but there's just. And it, it, it's it's leaning in towards the American kind of like you know oh you, you won't infringe on my civil rights yeah yeah it's it, it's that which yeah, of course I understand but like do you really care that much about it that you just won't stay indoors for a bit it's like, that sort of, <laughs> yeah yeah I think it's that sort of um, overwhelming skepticism isn't it that that and lack exactly. of trust in the people that clearly do know what they're yeah. talking about exactly and I think it's and it's themselves. interesting I was I was speaking to um, a few friends that I've got out in, in Dubai and across the you know, um, Arab Emirates and, and it, it it's almost in the places where other rules and um, and perhaps just the law is more strictly enforced and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not claiming that the police are feared, but there's definitely a greater level of respect. Um, yeah, sure. I think that those places they've had a, a lot easier time um enforcing the rules because people do as they're told as you say and i think here it's probably the first time in a long time that people have you know been told no you can't do that or yes yeah, you have yeah, to exactly. do this and it is just a complete and utter pushback and and i think that's the risk at the moment um people are scared. certainly change. yeah and, and and also heading into this four-week lockdown you know it's very easy not to do it you know it, it is in it completely reliant on on people you know obeying the rules and, and sort of working as a community and just saying all right it's going to be a tough four weeks and i think that level of willingness to do that it, it's well we wait to see but i think we'll wait to, yes exactly we'll wait and see i think it'll be a fascinating little experiment almost i do i do we will um we'll come back to malaysia because obviously that i know that's you know a prominent topic but in terms of um i guess the start and obviously the common theme that ties us together is we're both type 1 diabetic um i know every single person there's similarities between their diagnosis but there's also you know big differences um so in terms of for you your diagnosis story sort of when what age were you diagnosed how was it was it the common symptoms um and, and how did that pan out for you Sure. Uh, well, it wasn't the common symptoms, I don't think, that's for sure. Every time I've told this story um, to anybody who has diabetes, which aren't that many people actually, I think they're only second or third, to be quite <laughs> honest. I, I, I don't know many people with type 1 diabetes, so it's great. It's, uh, just, it's great to meet Ali, I should say. That's right. um, uh, I was diagnosed sort of almost 10 years ago, so January 
2011. Okay. I think I was just halfway through my first year at university. And I didn't have any symptoms actually. Well, I did have symptoms, but I didn't have any of the common ones. I wasn't, I wasn't particularly thirsty. I wasn't particularly tired. I wasn't, I was maintaining weight, wasn't losing it. I was generally okay. Uh, interestingly, this is kind of a side note because it doesn't really tie in with the rest of the story, but there had been a blood test taken a few years before that when I was about 18. Uh, in Malaysia, because uh, we were on, we were on, we were. Uh, to, long story short, on, on that side note, I was born in the UK, raised in Malaysia for a few years, growing up as a kid, way back. Then we came back to the UK, and now I'm back in Malaysia by myself. So I've been kind of coming back and forth. And in 2008, we were on a family holiday there. We were staying with some friends over Christmas, and we actually went to get a, like a family medical done in uh, in preparation, or at least that was the plan at the time. To get a visa to get on like the, the, the family visa program and you have yeah to yeah an mot <laughs> effectively an mot right exactly just to say you can come live here you are you are all in good nick so we went for our family mot um and my bloods got flagged as like dangerously high but um because it was supposed to be a fasting blood test i had uh, i'd ignored the guidelines and i like i, I got <laughs> up in the middle i got up in the middle of the night to have a, to have a sprite because i was thirsty i guess or whatever i was a sprite and then, so we kind of just kind of just brushed it off. The, the, the doctor was like, "No, these are these are quite high sugars. Like these aren't fasting sugars. Whether you've had a can of Sprite or not, like this is." That. And for some reason, we just never saw it through. We were just like, "Oh, that's that's weird," and then went home. So I that was maybe, three years before. Three, that was three, three years. years. Yeah. So. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't tell you what my numbers were, but they were they were obviously outside of the normal range. But wow. this was, yeah, three years before I was. I was walking around and I don't know, maybe, maybe I was maybe I was just about doing enough to burn it off, like, which, which doesn't make any any biological sense, but whoa, whoa. anyway, these symptoms, all the high blood sugars didn't manifest themselves in any symptoms for the next three years until halfway through my first year at university, I developed thrush. Um, and for those of you listening who don't know what that is, it's a fungal infection caused by excess sugar in the urine. Yeah. So you can imagine getting any kind of infection or anything untoward down there is cause for alarm. In your first year uh, of university. In your first year at university, exactly that. And now, so I put it down, I thought, I thought well, there's only one thing which could be, but uh, let's just say that at the time, you know, I just got out of a long distance relationship and whatnot. So let's just say that at the time, mm. the odds of it being a, trans a sexually transmitted disease were pretty much zero. Right, yeah. So I thought, well, oh, Christ, I really, well, I hope it's that because I really hope it could be anything worse, you know? So mm. anyway, so I, w I went down to the, to the clinic and got swabbed and stabbed and tested for everything. Um, and they came back and said, yeah, I confirmed like this, this, um, I don't want to be too graphic in case anybody's eating, but they were like, this infection is definitely like, it's, it's thrush, it's this, it's this yeast thing. Um, and your blood sugars are insanely, insanely high. So basically, Jacob, you, you haven't got chlamydia, you haven't got gonorrhea or anything like that, but you do have type one diabetes, we're pretty sure. And I kind of just sat there stunned and was like, can I, can I trade? Yeah. Like, can can I just can I just can I just take the chlamydia instead and just yeah. do that? That's got that's gone on a couple of weeks, right? <laughs> yeah, they just said like I, I I again I can't remember because this whole sort of this whole sort of period. I mean, it's about a week over a week or two in my life. Like this happened. Um, it it's kind of a bit blurry. Like I can't remember what my sugars were when the doctor told me I had diabetes. Yeah. But he said, look, he said, look, these are really. I'm assuming they were like pushing thirty. 
Yeah. And he was yeah. like, look, these are really, really bad. Like, I'm going to refer you to a specialist in, in, in Newcastle has a diabetes specialist center. Mm. So I thought, and, but again, I just, I, th- I thought, I thought he was an idiot, you know? And apologies if this somehow finds his, this way to him. Yeah. I don't think really think, I don't really think you're an idiot doctor, but at the time I was like, this can't be, this can't be true. Like, how can it be? I had no, I didn't even know what diabetes was really thinking about it. I and and I guess just mentally as well, sort of being, you know, going in thinking, okay, it's something around this, this area. And then yeah. being hit with a life sentence. <laughs> right, you're, exactly um, that. And it, it, so, it, yeah. it's, it's a complete sort of, I guess also that pans into why it's sort of unbelievable and that it's just so unexpected. Yeah, like I, I truly had no, like, I think I'd done, I'd done some Googling of course of the symptoms and like, I was pretty sure it was thrush, but I mm. didn't know that that, I just, cause people, people get it, you know, it's a fairly common like yeast infection, you know? I, I yeah. just didn't think that it could have ever been caused by high blood sugar. So then a couple of days later, I was on my way to lectures and I get a call from, it turns out to be the specialist clinic and they say like, drop everything you're doing and get here now. And I always look back on this, I, I, I realized this was the first and the last time in my life that I ever tried to use a, an academic appointment to get out of a doctor's appointment <laughs> and, not, and not the other way around, not you know? So I, like, uh, no, no, no. so I was like, no, no, I can't do this. I've got to, I must go to lectures. And they were like, yeah. no, seriously, please. seriously, come on. You need to come right away. So I got a, I got a cab over there and then I just spent the next hour kind of went by in a, in a blur, but well, I was just sitting in a room surrounded by kind of different nurses at different times. And there, were, there was a sense of urgency, but I've heard of people, you know, people going to, I've heard of, read about, whatever, people going to the um, hospital being admitted, but then being admitted and staying in bed for like three days while they do all these tests and hook you up and mm. this and that. I didn't go through any anything like that. Um, right. I just sort of sat, went to the clinic, said, listen, hi, I'm Jacob, I'm the guy you just called, and they keep rushing me into the room and just, and just sat me down in a chair and just said, right, this is it now, and just handed me like like thing after thing like a glucometer strips uh, uh, pricker finger pricker like and then the, the needles oh my god when i saw those i think that's from my heart sank yeah because i i've had a fear of needles i still have a tiny fear of needles in a way mm. i'm still not good with getting the flu jab blood tests are hard yeah i just don't like um and but they would say yeah and so so then it's been the next hour telling me like like this is it now and they still didn't really give me like, I mean, maybe they did, but I can't remember, but they didn't actually explain kind of how, how it, I mean, I know no one knows the cause of type one, right? But they they still didn't really explain like the process leading up to it. They didn't say that my pancreas had done this or that, whatever else, they just said, right, this is it now, you inject yourself. Go, te- like, te- test, try it out. And I, I was lying there like trying to like, fight back the tears, like, no, you can't be serious. Like, get, let someone stop the ride and let me get off. Like, this yeah. is going too far. Basically that, and then, Christ, and then I, 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 I still, you know, I, I st- that morning I'd left, uh, uh, the morning I'd left my halls with just, you know, just my book bag and, mm. you know, precious little else on my mind, gone straight from there to, to, to the hospital. And then by that afternoon, my book bag was stuffed with insulin. And, yeah. That's why I just got back to my halls and thought, Yeah, it's surreal because, you know, so I, you said you mentioned you were in Newcastle at the time, and I, I imagine mm. we probably ended up. Um, I would, I was diagnosed at eight, so I was probably in sort of a, a, a children's ward. But it was given that we were both in the same city and both got, you know, went through the whole yeah. diagnosis period in the same place. Um, yeah. 
my story couldn't be further couldn't be further from it to be honest because I think I was probably kept in longer than I needed to be and I remember being in there you know well over a week in my, probably around the 10 day mark and there was really no need um, and and I got the full you know, I remember being given drawings of what the pancreas did and, and, and breaking it down and how to use everything and how to inject. And maybe that is because of my age. Um, but I think at any age to sort of be hit with, you know, something that realistically at the moment we're going to have for the rest of our lives. I think at any age mm-hmm. that's, you know, a, a pretty big pill to swallow. Um, so I think that's hard to, or certainly from what you've said, it sounds hard um, that you were kind of just let loose after that. Uh, yes and no, to be honest with you. I mean, I did. I, I will. I will concede that they 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 had some follow ups for me and everything. Mm. I wasn't just. I wasn't pushed into the cold. They they did invite me to like uh, a few. Um, they they had like a course, like a weekly workshop, whatever, with like with newly diagnosed uh, type ones. So we went to yeah. a couple of those, and that's where we go and, and learn learn a bit more about heart counting and and this stuff. Right. It was all. It was all okay. So I did get a bit of follow up. Bit more, um, you know, knowledge and whatnot. But I, 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 even those I didn't enjoy because I couldn't relate to these people. A lot of them were, were really older than me, which is quite mm. rare for type one. So, because I was twenty at the time, and there were a couple of people. Um, there was one guy who was about maybe five to ten years older than me. There was one really old lady, and I wondered if that was because she had type two. But a lot of type twos control it, control using insulin. So, so there was just a, like a bunch of us. Only only four or five of us for a mm. couple of weeks, just kind of like randomly like you know from all walks of Newcastle life as you can know the just like <laughs> randomly just gathering in a room to talk about like card counts and stuff like that. Yeah like a, a strange but, game of guess who. <laughs> exactly that like it was a very weird Cluedo experience. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I, I appreciated the effort but it just didn't feel of course. right. You know, it didn't feel particularly relevant or right. Um, and and how so, did that sort of pan out I guess you know, for the, for the remainder of your, your time at university. Because I know for me, um, you know, being diagnosed at eight, I, all of the kind of major events in my life pretty much came after it. So I went through them with diabetes. So it's not, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't living this life and then you flick a switch and I have to suddenly, you know, prick my fingers and inject myself every every hour. It's, it, was all, it was almost, I just grew with it. I guess, it, it, you know, to be diagnosed in your first year of uni and then have to deal with it for the remainder of your time, that must've been pretty difficult, I imagine. It was, yeah, great question. And it was, um, I don't think I've given this one as much thought. Um, or I don't, I don't think I've really given myself, given the whole thing, like sort of, for the, I'd say for the first five years post-diagnosis, I was I was really bad with it. Like I would take my medicine and stuff, but I, I would I would go through days when I would just wouldn't, like wouldn't test because I didn't, I didn't want to see what I knew I'd see. You know, I didn't want to see high numbers. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't test at all or, or I'd like just conveniently forget insulin. <laughs> if I was going away for a night, I might just forget my insulin and just not care about it until the next day. So, but I don't, I don't know actually. Um, how would I deal with it? Um, I, I made sure that the people knew who needed to know. Like, so I, like my friends knew that you know, to look out for me on the night out, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I genuinely just tried to keep it as no- keep things as normal as possible. So I would actually say that like I probably sacrificed a couple of years of like, well, I can't, I can't say it on, off my life or anything ridiculous like that, but I probably no, sacrificed yeah. a couple of years of good care. Um, yeah. 
that isn't to say I was running high the whole time. You know, I was probably running high a fair amount of it, but I wasn't running high the whole time. I was still, you know, I was still taking like baby steps. I would just say towards understanding and being and understanding myself and understanding the condition and understanding myself and the condition. You know, because it was a, it was it was a period of big change for for all of us, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't stop me. I think the good thing was um, was that that was just about the time I started getting really into into fitness like really into the gym me and my friends would go like more or less every day and that became an anchor for us and so that and as soon, and then as soon as i started taking insulin um all of a sudden like the the muscles which had been screaming out you know for glucose to get into them so they could grow and what have you like they were finally being you know i was finally letting growth into my muscles if you like because yeah i'd always been like kind of like athletic skinny kind of thing but i never really had any muscle mass and all of a sudden i was taking insulin and drinking protein shakes and i ballooned well mm. I'm, I'm still five foot eight so you know, <laughs> not the biggest guy in the world but yeah i i i, I put on a lot of like good lean muscle because we were working at the end and, I, and I, that's when i also realized that exercise is going to be a very very key pillar in mountain's condition yeah and Sorry, Bob. Sorry, and uh, you know, I was I was just gonna say, I know I know fitness from from that point has 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 obviously been been huge for me, or certainly that's that's the impression that comes across on your social media, and I know that's a key sort of part of what you're trying to accomplish in Malaysia. Um, so I guess moving, you know, f- further forward down down the timeline a little bit. Mm. Um, how did that come about? I know you explained it briefly, but from that point, I guess you finished off in Newcastle. Um, and then from that point, how did how did you sort of end up in Malaysia? And and you know, for those that don't know, what, what is it? You know, between the UK and the Malaysia, are there, are there very clear differences? It's sort of been a lifestyle that I know you'd had some experience of, but you fell quite easily back into. Well, I think okay, all good questions. Okay, I think um, so. I started, so I graduated, and then I spent a couple of years working in recruitment. Uh, between I spent a year, about a year in Leeds, and then a few months in London. Um, and I was okay. That was that was that was cool, but it, it got a bit. Um, I realized it, it wasn't for me by the end of my eighty. I think eighteen months there, and then I basically had a, had a decision to make as to whether um, I wanted to stick it out in London or or see about something else. And London had been had been good to me, but it it had also been very very uh, brutal. I would say London London is an unforgiving place if you're unsure of yourself. Well, yeah. Um, and it's also it's cold and it's expensive and if you're making loads of money fantastic and, but the thing is I wasn't I and I, well, I wasn't sure about myself and what I was doing so um, the family still rented a, an apartment because my, my dad does a lot of working abroad and so we still had like a crash pad in Malaysia okay. to use so I just thought right why not you know I was 20 24 I think 26 how old was I 25, 26, yeah. and just thought, well, if not now, then when? You know, like either I can stay in London and commit, or I can just give myself a chance here. Before, you know, while I'm not so tied down to to seek it out. So that was four years ago, um, and so, so I, I found the job in, in, at a creative agency. So I now do copywriting and some freelance content work and whatnot. Um, in terms of lifestyle out here, it's I mean, Kuala Lumpur is, is very cosmopolitan, and it's it's I mean the, the British only left in the late 50s. So there's still a lot of, you know, like, call it a colonial hangover, if you like. And even the plug sockets are the same, which is marvelous. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, so and, and English is, well, English is an official language. It's very, very, I mean, everyone works in English. 
much effectively. Like it's very, very widely spoken. So okay. the lifestyle here is is it's there are just enough home comforts, including of course the Irish bars, which I know <laughs> to, as a New Yorker resident, you're very familiar. With. Of course. <laughs> so yeah. So there's enough. There's enough of that. There's 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 a wonderful sense of home comfort and sort of Western outlook and feel, but also with a very genuine, authentic, dare I say, authentic cultural experience. Mm. Like there's a very distinct way of life here in Malaysia. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, uh, and, and, the, and the, the weather's great most of the time. I guess um, you know. I, I guess for me, certainly when I when I moved abroad and when when I went to Mallorca, um, in terms of kind of upping and moving and, and and trying to make a life there and, and and not just staying for a month or two um you know diabetes medication is always going to be a factor oh, yeah. um and of course you know the ease of getting prescriptions and things like that it's just one other thing to think about and, and mm-hmm. how has that sort of panned out in malaysia for you you know I, i've spoken to people in the states and in canada where you know the cost of insulin is just astronomical oh, it's, 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 it's just absurd and and and, and very absurd. you know it, i'm pleased that i kind of have a knowledge of that because you know not too long ago i didn't realize that in some places you did have to pay for insulin and it's just ignorance but also because in the uk we are very fortunate that i ring up i order my insulin and it and it and it's there um yeah, yeah. So, so so how 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 is it in malaysia well, I missed the NHS, that's for sure. Because um, despite despite the initial diagnosis part, I call my, my aftercare was pretty good, and I never met a specialist who I never met. I mean, there was one specialist I met, but I, I wouldn't go into it. He couldn't otherwise. Um, there wasn't a specialist I met who who wouldn't give me the time of day or wouldn't explain something if I needed it to. And of course, the free medicine was was, was a godsend, especially yeah. compared to, like you said, our uh, our Western cousins across the pond here it's it's okay like i i see um you do have to you do have to pay for it but it's it's if it, it's cheap it is well not not cheap cheap but it is like uh like a box of five pens what cost it like it's about eight pounds a pen right like okay 10, so 10 like 12 us dollars a pen or something yeah max um and i think that for a vial of insulin they're talking hundreds of dollars right so you, so um, you do have to pay. There isn't like a national health service as such. You do have to pay for prescriptions. But what I you can get them easily in pharmacies. So what I do is I see a specialist for my kind of three month or six month checkup mm-hmm. at, a, at a private hospital. Um, and he and he by by shape he was recommended by a family friend and he actually happens to be like the I think he's chair chairman of the Malaysian Diabetes Advisory Board or something. Uh, so he's 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 a pretty good one to have in my corner. Um, and otherwise I just get hold of it through pharmacies. And there are plenty of. I, all, all my needles, my test strips, my glucose, tabs, everything comes yep. from pharmacies. And the, the price is, you know, for, for, to say that it's also life-saving medicine, the price is pretty reasonable. Um, but what's weird about diabetes care in Malaysia, and I guess this um, maybe gets us on to the next point as well, is what, if, if, the thing about diabetes care in Malaysia is that everybody sees it as some kind of inevitability almost this is more type two than type one yeah type one is very very clear but type two diabetes is a public health crisis in malaysia um in terms of the overall numbers in terms of the not just in terms of numbers of people but the numbers financially pardon me that it's costing the state to look after these patients Mm. because i know i i I know uh certainly 
from from your earlier posts um, on on social media and, and a lot of the content you're putting out, it's certainly the type two prevalence within Malaysia is certainly something that you're um, passionate about, and, and I guess hoping to have some impact on. Um, and and so yes, tell me a little bit about about that in terms of you know what what you hope to achieve, you know whether whether already at this point you've got an idea of kind of what the engagement is going to be there good question um yeah for sure it's something which it's I mean, definitely raising awareness about type one is important because people need to be aware of the distinction between the two i think we all get painted we all, we all get tarred they're tarred coated and painted if you like with the same brush um so that so raising awareness of type one for sure and i think i'll you know that, that that's part of my, my story too but yeah like you picked up on like the the, the Malaysia is well on track to becoming one of the most, per capita, one of the most diabetic nations in the world. And for me, it's, um, I haven't exactly figured out what or how to do it yet. I know that I need to learn the language a lot better to address the audience because my my, my Bahasa Malaysia is not great at all. Uh, Shocking, I know. But I I think what it is, is just creating, I don't know if you saw recently, I did the um, the market video where I went down to the food market. Yeah, yeah, I watched it. So, so I want to thank you, by the way. <laughs> so I want to. Um, so I, I basically want to channel myself towards doing more of that. Like in terms of, I want to show people how it is entirely possible to um, to live like a regular lifestyle, if you like, and just make a couple of sensible. I don't even want to call it sacrifices. Just make a couple of sensible switches or swaps, and 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 you can you can really manage this condition with with the most natural medicine there is and that medicine is simply movement or or good good healthy wholesome food i'm not advocating a strict whole food plant-based diet because that's not at all what i indulge in nor am i saying you have to work out every single day because i definitely didn't do that either mm-hmm. uh, but what i am saying is and especially because the diet in Malaysia, like the food here is unbelievable um, the food here is so good but it's also you know what makes it so good is what makes it so um can i say bad yeah um it, it's 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 very very carb very very carb centric very heavy on fats and sugars and oils and so on and people indulge in this stuff you know for breakfast the, the national dish is a breakfast dish and it's it's white rice that's boiled in coconut milk and right. served with served with like delicious crispy fish um and some sambal which is a spicy sauce which has loads of sugar in it yeah and you know in, in and of itself it's like a you've got a fairly actually quite good macronutrient profile it's full of like you know fats and, and, and there's a bit of protein if you have if you have it with chicken and there's and there's carbs in there but when people start their day with this every single day of course over 10 15 years time you're going to start looking at pre-diabetes mm. uh, so my 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 angle is though I don't want to be preachy I don't want to be restrictive I don't want to say that and I don't want to I definitely don't want to use any scare tactics no even though even though that figure of you know something like 44 percent of adults here are obese or something I mean though, though the numbers speak for themselves I don't need to scare anybody but what I want to do is find a way of addressing the problem from like uh, prevention is better than cure perspective and just saying look just just hit try and hit your step even if it's little things and this is a great tip I stole from diabetic and healthy Charlotte Bulker who's out there and she's listening shout out to her because I did a podcast with her recently and I listened right. to hers before that and one of her tips was just even if it's just something as small as parking your car on the other side of the car park and walking just a bit further yeah you know that's that's all it takes well it's, it's not all it takes at all but it's just these little habits which you want to start creating and forming and they're so eminently doable 
Um, and I think it's important to see, you know, as you were talking about the, the video in the market, it's important to see that you're not, you know, you're not telling people to have six grains of rice and an apple for dinner. It's 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 sensible little decisions that, you know, over weeks and months and years start to have yeah. a significant impact. And it was interesting to see when you said about, um, you know, almost the cultural issue there in Malaysia in mm. terms of the, the, the food and the traditional foods that they have. Because a lot of the literature I've read about, um, you know, Japan, for example, has been the obesity rate almost increased in line with Western foods being introduced and, and a more sort of fast food basis. Um, whereas it, by the sounds of things, it sounds like in Malaysia, it's almost, you know, the traditional dishes that have been stuck to, but a lot of them are inherently un unhealthy. That's a fairly, I, I, I actually haven't considered it, considered it enough. But like, yeah, I mean, certainly Western food hasn't helped. Like they love KFC and McDonald's <laughs> and all of that. And in fact, KFC, KFC isn't the most popular restaurant here. Right. Well, well, above McDonald's because Malaysians have a, have a crazy predilection for fried chicken. Uh, because a lot of them, a lot, a lot of them being uh, Muslim, of course, they don't eat pork. Of course, yeah. Um, so, so chicken and, and beef is the way forward here. Um, very good point, actually, and, and kind of both. I think, I mean, diabetes was probably an, was probably a silent issue, if you like, um, here for longer than the Western food has been around because it is so rice heavy and so fat heavy and what have you. Certainly, the fast food didn't help um, and I, I don't think it had the same impact to the same degree because I, I, I've read and I've read and I've heard of similar studies like in it, it's it's a massive issue in the Pacific Islands in the US Pacific Islands yeah. like Guam and yeah. so on when they started being used as army army bases and they were shipping in like tins of spam and what have you like the islanders have never seen this before and now they're the most obese people on the planet yeah. so so there is there is that element to it here because far, because fast food is seen as actually quite like a trendy thing like a lot of uh, excuse me young, you know, young young malays will go and meet their friends at the fast food restaurant because they're not going out drinking they're not going to bars they're, mm. they're, they're meeting they're having fast food instead it's more it's it's like a perfect storm or imperfect storm depending of course how you look at it of like um and being a uh, being a culture of very uh, we call it open house the open house concept is huge here especially around big religious festivals and it's literally just welcoming as many people into your home as possible and when they say open house like they kind of mean it like you can walk around you can walk around the neighborhood on uh, on, on, on any particular religious holiday mostly there's one called harry raya which is a big uh, celebration here you can literally walk around the neighborhood and you walk into someone's house you know, and right. just and just to you know to 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 express to exchange greetings and blessings and what have you, and there's there's going to be food, you know, it, it's like that. So there there is a very very open culture of sharing and caring and, and like asking someone here if they've eaten is like asking how their family is doing. You know, like yeah. you, you meet someone anyone, the first thing they'll ask you is have you eaten. You know, it's it's so there is that cultural angle which comes into making sure that the whole the family is together and fed and happy and full bellies and all of that kind of thing but yeah. it's what you're it's what you're filling your belly with uh, which is the kicker and like i said a lot of what makes the food here taste so good is is whatever you know it's people always ask why does bad food taste so good and it's because of what's loaded in there with sugars mm -hmm. and additives and fats and everything no i think it'll be uh, i think it'll be interesting i think um you know it's obviously not not a task that one that one person can solve but i think it's interesting to see um you know how you're going to approach it and certainly something that i'll be i'll be keeping an eye on and i think i think it's useful and i think um 
to a certain extent, it's refreshing in that I do think, you know, wrongly, there is some sort of um, animosity between type one and type two. And I, I think that does boil down often to the fact that type one diabetics are lumped in with, you know, you got this because you were unhealthy. Um, so yeah, I think it's yeah, actually exactly. quite important that there are type one diabetics addressing, you know, the, the problems that stem from type two diabetes. And, and as you say, with, with the, um malaysian link as well i think i think it'll be interesting so i wish i do wish you all the best with that i hope, I hope it's, um you know a project <laughs> grows you, out of that and, and and something and something yeah. moves on and... thank you man i appreciate that yeah it's, it's gonna i'm gonna for now at least i'm just gonna can sort of continue um it's not going to be anything i mean hopefully it's not going to be something that's widely different to what i'm doing right now it's no. going to be through the same channel and everything but um and, and you're absolutely right i can't do it by myself and so what i'm what i'm hoping to do is is link up with a lot of local people to talk about it because there is a growing what's really positive to see is that there, there is a growing health movement i mean the gyms are opening at an alarming rate in Malaysia, which is great I mean, covid notwithstanding of course but otherwise like gyms and personal training and um, and healthy eating, like conscious healthy eating options are abounding right now in Malaysia. Five years ago, you couldn't find a vegetarian restaurant and now there's heaps of them, you know. So there is there is a sense of uh, of, of taking action, if you like. There is a sense of, of, of people that are taking a greater interest in their personal health and, and fitness and wellness, which is wonderful, you know, which, mm. which, which, which I'm all for. So I'm hoping to sort of, you know, harness a little bit of that energy. Yeah, ride speak, that way. Speak, ride that wave, speak to a few other people. Like, you know, like I said, I'm lucky that my specialist happens to be the chairman of the board of the National Association, right? So exactly. I've got to get him on, I've got to get him on camera. And I just think, and I just think, yeah, I, I want to start more of a conversation around it because like I said, there is this air of inevitability with some people that you speak to. If someone always has an uncle or a, or a closer relative or a, fa- or a brother or someone who knew someone, and it's always like, oh yeah, he's got diabetes. Oh, and I'm like, okay, uh, what, how does he, manage that is it pills is it oh no, he just takes his pills and eats whatever he wants it's mm. like, no no and then people seem resigned to that people know people that even our age are resigned to assuming you and i are maybe i'm maybe a couple years older than you i'm not sure mm. how old are you Adam? uh i'm ju- i'm just about to turn 24 so i'm a bit younger oh wait you've got the world at your feet awesome <laughs> and you've done so much already um okay so people people your people your age and i'm almost 30 so yeah we'll call it the same age for yeah. now. 20 Fundless. 20 exactly 20 somethings are just sort of resigning themselves to um you know to, to get in this condition at some point in the future and i'm just like no it doesn't have to be that way and, and you don't have to be like an obsessive like work of workout free to, to prevent it either you know just just be sensible be smart, like be informed, be curious. One of my, one of my kind of always top tips for people, people like this is be curious, like take an active interest in, mm-hmm. in what's going on rather than just like, you know, have it now and deal with it, but have the cake now and deal with the consequences later. You know, you yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's inherently it's preventable, you know, n- normally it is, uh, it's preventable and it's, it's, it's prevention yeah. rather than, you know, trying, trying to treat it. And, you know, we've, so we, we've obviously spoken about your sort of social media channels as, as, as being a very, very useful tool for this, for this sort of movement. Um, and, and, and I guess that's, you know, that, that is how I was aware of, of what you were doing and stumbled across you and you, you, your page is obviously Kinetic Diabetic, um, which, which is a big fan of. <laughs> um, and Thank you. I, I guess for me, you know, I, I sit here, but this is all, you know, very new for me. I started 
my sort of social media channel at, at, at the start of 2020. Um, and before that, I'd been very sort of reluctant um, to get involved. And it was interesting when you were talking earlier about, you know, type one workshops, weekly workshops, stuff like that. You know, as I was growing up from eight to 18, I was invited to countless kind of diabetes meetups and stuff like that. And it was just something that I never, never, never wanted to be involved with. Um, mm. And even for people mm. that are close with me, my parents, stuff like that, you know, they're all very surprised when I kind of took the step and I was like, right, I'm going to do an Instagram solely, you know, dedicated to to diabetes and, and things related to diabetes. Um, I guess for you, you know, you mentioned early on for the first five, for the first few years, it certainly wasn't maybe a priority for you or you prioritized mm. other things. Um, so yeah. I guess how, how did it move from that into, you know, the kinetic diabetic presence that, that we see now? That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's such a good question and actually a very good observation too, because you're right. I was, I was exactly like you in the sense that I couldn't imagine anything worse. I was like, I'd really, again, with these people, like, that's not me. I'm not that. Don't put me in that bracket, you know? Mm. And I, and I just kind of got on with it. So yeah, I was prioritizing other things. And then even as I got better with my self-care, I still kind of, you know, just kept it. I would say I wasn't being as curious as I, as I tell myself now that I should have been and everything else. I was, I was just kind of coasting for a while. Um, but, you know, comfortably my HbA1c was okay. And I was just, I was just getting on with it. I wasn't thinking about it too much. And then it, this just, the connected diabetic just occurred to me last year. And yeah, it just came in a weird, in a weird, not weird, it was a good, a fortuitous time, but just kind of a strange time in my life when all of these little things started to come together. One of it was that I'd been looking for a side project for a while, because like I said, my day job was copywriting, I'm a, I'm a content, I wouldn't say I'm a content creator yet, but you know, I'm involved in that kind of thing and I wanted a side piece. It was, it was going to be travel writing for a long time. Okay. But then I thought, you know, everyone's done that, you know, I, there's nothing, there's nothing about me that particularly stands out. I just knew that I wanted to write. And then, realizing more and more um, about you know, the kind of conversations I was having, like I said just now, about people mentioned to me about you know, with diabetes and this and that. And a few of those started to gather in my mind. You know, it wasn't just one person saying it. And then I, I was doing more and more work um, in like influencer marketing and so on. And I'm not saying for a second that I wanted, I wanted to become an influencer as such, but I realized that you, know, you really do have, a, quite, you do have a lot of power as a channel to to express things and to share things and whatnot so i i didn't when i decided to start this this channel i just knew that i just wanted to do it because it was something which is very 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 personal to me of course yeah. um i have enough to talk about as far as food and fitness is concerned i'm definitely not qualified but hey i've been doing it for a while like i might have something that's of use to somebody i don't know and also that no one's having the conversation in malaysia um you know, so it was just like three or four different things that happened that, that just struck me. I was like, right, I'll, I'll do it. Why not? You know, no one else is doing it. Like, I'm going to God knows I won't run out of content because this is an everyday thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I just thought, like, why not? But I didn't. It was interesting when you asked, actually, because I realized that when I, I didn't think about the type one community online, I didn't associate them with the people that I had shunned before, if that makes sense. I didn't think right. about I was, I didn't actually think about how big it would be because I, I already followed on my other account like a couple of people who happen to be type 1. I don't know if you follow a guy called like JTM Fit, J Maniac, I think his name is. Yeah, I've stumbled across his page, yeah. 
Oh, he's awesome. He's like, yeah. he, he's, he's like a, and he, he, he rarely, and he's doing a bit more now, but he rarely talked if ever about diabetes. He was just putting it as a kick ass workout. But yeah. yeah, I know another guy, and I, uh, I stumbled across Chris Rudin as well when I was, mm. before I made the channel, and I know he was, he was sort of a big, I was a big fan of his. Yeah, yeah he's awesome. He's, he's a very inspirational guy. And then, uh, she good, and I should probably give credit to, I don't know if he's, if he's listening or if he's made it this far, my friend Benny, um, who's a personal trainer based in Colin, but he sent me the profile of, Drew Harrisburg, you know, yeah, Drew's Daily Drew. Dose. Yeah, Drew. Yeah, so he's so my friend Benny sent me Drew's Daily Dose, and actually, when I when I saw that was the final piece. Actually, when I saw Drew's, I was like, this can be done. Mm. I was like, this, and I saw because he puts a lot of thought and energy and, and effort into his um, into his messages and his captions and his story and all, all the rest. Of it. And I thought, actually, th- th- this really can be done. Um, so that was like the final straw and then I found the type 1 community and I was like shit there's actually a lot of people doing this yeah and I think you know it kind of leads on to what I was going to talk about in terms of I think because we all do have the same condition I think there's almost an expectation that it's managed the same and I think um, you know certainly when I when when I first started it I was kind of just putting up you know what I did and then I very very quickly you know maybe following 100 people or following 200 people and I maybe had 11 followers but I was just kind of looking and stumbling across these these profiles and obviously it starts with the with the the, the, the more famous ones like Drew and, and people like that um and I very quickly started to sort of think oh I don't do that I don't do that oh that's mm-hmm. not how I do it and I think you know for me um what i've sort of learned to think now is more you know there's more than there's numerous ways to tackle this condition and i think at first i was very quickly going i need to change this and i need to change that and i need to change that and i do think probably the one downside of 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 the the community that sort of found myself in now um is that inevitably people will post a picture of their good days and people will post a graph of you know, oh, them staying, gross. them staying five oh. <laughs> for the whole day, and their HbA1c yeah. being five. And and for me, that you know, at first I sort of had complete admiration for these people, and I still do. But I think there is, you know, in, in even on people people's Instagrams that aren't anything to do with diabetes, they will always post a picture, and I'm guilty of it too. Where you look better, you're not going to post a picture where you look awful, and it's exactly the same for diabetes. And I think. Um, there's been a few posts I've seen on your on your profile where I've kind of more related to it because it's just real. And I remember I stumbled across the I think you did a video where you a video oh, or that. a picture where you were hypo in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. things no, like it that too. that people can relate to. You know, they happen. You go low at 3 a.m. and you have to get up and you feel awful and you're sweating. Not everyone sits on 5.5 24 7. No, no, um, no. And I guess, you know, obviously you're relatively new to the community as well and I guess have you found that in terms of this level of expectation to be not perfect but to be you know a very very well managed diabetic but well but to be damn near perfect let's face it I mean I I completely relate to what you're saying and I I get it completely because I mean and this is something I was talking about with Charlotte the diabetic and healthy on her podcast too Mm. and it's like and, and yes as you just said like respect it like admire it and what have you but you know i don't need to see it all and people put their hba when sees in their bios which i which i come across that and i'm just like all right mate like we get it you know like again you like win. full you went yeah, exactly it's like full power to you and like you know all, and full respect to you but like but you're right and i think for a lot of people 
um, who are you, for a lot of people who use the community, the, the Instagram as like an awareness tool, like, you know, because I've had a few people kind of reach out to me and just say that, oh, page is good. Do you have any tips? And what have you? And which, of course, I'm always happy to give them. Mm. But for people, but you think for people who are in that position, who are like coming onto the platform to, to learn more and to reach out and to ask for, I think, yes, yeah, some people, you know, maybe do go a little bit far in, in just in talking about the perfect diabetic life. Like, and so that anybody who thinks that they stray from that path or they get one high number, they they're worried that they fall completely off the wagon. So I, I I get it, I do, and I think there is a balance to like to promoting um, sensible lifestyle, to promoting good health and wellness practice, and all that stuff. And obviously, it's paying off for these people. Mm. But then also, you know, we we can we can eat we can eat crap some of the time like we can yeah. drink we, we, we can eat pizza and drink beer and sometimes we will go high sometimes we'll go low you can like and, and that's every day with diabetes you know like it, it's it, it, that's part of the process so no for sure and i think you know i, I think it's it's for, for me certainly i think um I'd, I so I swam for the majority of my time when I had diabetes. I swam at quite a high level, um, and I went to university predominantly to swim and swim for my university and and and, and things like that. So coming off the back of that, um, like you were saying earlier, diabetes for you for a certain number of years wasn't a priority. It of course was a priority for me, but. I put swimming, you know, I knew that sitting on 10 or 11 for four hours a day wasn't ideal. I know that, mm. you know, if, if I hadn't been in the pool, there's no way I would have been that high. But I sat on that level because that was easiest for me to train. And I think sometimes, you know, people forget on Instagram that maybe diabetes sometimes isn't the, the one and only thing that you're thinking about. Um, and I think, you know, certainly accounts that have come across that have been a bit more refreshing are people that tend to be involved in the sporting world and and for example go for a run and they say you know i need to be a little bit higher so i can go for a run yes it's not yeah, realistic yeah. for exactly. me to do a 10k run on 4.5 you know mm-hmm. it it just doesn't happen um and so i do think it's important and and um i know i've heard you mention you know think thinking about how diabetes can almost improve your life for the better in terms of your attitude toward things so i know for me that was certainly not an attitude i ever had it was more something right i need to put up with diabetes and i need to find the best way to manage it so it doesn't affect my life um and another guy who i follow who's who's, who's a page is absolutely brilliant and his podcasts are brilliant um is owen Costello, i think insulo and on uh, insulo. Oh, yeah, he's on, on, on instagram and and he talked about the sort of the positives of type one so the the patience the resilience the self-motivation to get up at 3 a.m and actually treat your yeah, high yeah. um and i guess for you has has, has that sort of been has that kind of movement from it being something that you've got to put up with to being something that you can see the positives in? Because I know for a lot of people, they're just not at that point. Mm. That's again, a very good question. And I think it's, it's a bit of both. Like I I, I have realized, because um, one, yeah, one of my statements, like taglines, whatever you want to say on, on my page is that like diabetes will change your life, but it can be for the better, which I do believe in because what I've come to terms with is that objectively speaking, like, all you've got to do is just keep a closer eye on your health and like who can really argue with that like yes we all want to eat six crispy creams a day and not do anything it's whatever but you know we all know that that's bad for you 
um, and which yeah. with diabetes, like so objectively, diabetes, I guess there are complications and this and that, but like if you take each day at a time and you manage what you can, like you can avoid those complications and really, and there, there is very few things which you're being restricted from, really. I think in this, I mean, I've got a medically restricted driving license, but I'm, I'm not going to apply it to be driving any eight ton trucks anytime soon. So fine. <laughs> you know, so of course there are a couple of things, but like, but really, you know, objectively speaking, like diabetes is just asking you to take, uh, to micromanage your health on a day to day level. But once you figure out how, like you really do feel, um, you can thrive because that discipline then feeds into other areas of your life. Of course, there are days when it's a pain in the bum and I just wish I could just have a day off. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I'm not quite bouncing around as like, you know, no one should want to have type 1 diabetes. No, I'm not bouncing no, no, no. around as an ambassador yet. Um, but I have seen that, I, I've seen that no, I can handle this. Christ, you know, this is nothing for me. And I inject myself how many times a day? But I, I, sometimes you just suck. And I think, like, in terms of mentally approaching it, because it took me a long time to warm up to this idea. But, you know, you, if you step back and think, wow, I'm, you know, I'm really dealing with this. And I'm dealing with it every day and I'm injecting myself. I think years ago you couldn't do it and, and you've still done this. And done that. Like, it, you have to reflect and give yourself a pat on the back sometimes, I feel. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, and, and I th I think that's important as well, especially in an age where inevitably you're kind of comparing yourself diabetes other aspects and across all you know social media channels i think it is important to say you know an hbmc of seven whatever is an improvement and and still take that you know yeah you have to celebrate and, and you're right it's it's you have to celebrate your own victories first and foremost and however small they may be definitely um, yeah when, when i when i when i when i did when I, when I first joined the community i was i was a little bit um uh I wouldn't say blown away, but maybe overwhelmed that I was a bit like, oh God, everyone's getting it so right. Like, how are they all doing this and whatever else? So I, I did, I, I, I felt like um, quite a lot of like imposter syndrome, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I, I thought I was taking this, I thought I was doing this whole thing. Like, oh, look at me go. I'm going to be, you know, uh, a, an insulin influencer, I call it. You know, I mean, and then, then I realized, holy shit, all of these people have it a lot more together than I do. Yeah, or, or at least on the surface. <laughs> at least on the surface, at least. Yeah, but then I just, I just focus on, on doing you know what I do, um, and because it, it's 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 well as we know it's every day for us. So I just I, I try and try and pinpoint parts of my day and and, and and apply them to what I want to say. Like I just put up a story, for example, about how yesterday I went for like a really indulgent local lunch that was like. Mm, yeah, I saw bread and, and rice and everything. And I was like, yeah, I did this and it's full of fat and carbs and oil and all of this. But then, you know, I, I went for a walk afterwards. Yeah. So I, you know, so it's all about balance. It's all about key stuff. So, so whatever, I, I try and focus on that side rather than like staring at other people's stuff and being like, oh God, my, you know, my, my HP1C is different to theirs. They must be doing this and that, right? Mm. Can't be tough though. No, it's an interesting point, and I think um, I think we share a common ethos in in, in the sense that very much movement it, movement is medicine, and 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 we treat, or certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we tr we treat diabetes and we and we manage it in the same way, and that and that exercise can have a you know an extraordinary effect, and and also just mm -hmm. help you manage the condition. And I know um, across different social media channels, there's people that. Um, you know probably don't don't exercise don't aren't really into fitness and and i almost think it is then a little bit easier to stay you know to just have to just manage your diabetes on a day-to-day -day basis 
um, without those highs and lows. If you can just sit in the room, you sit in an office and you just make sure that you're at the same level all, the, all day. Um, I'm very much of a different mindset that yes, maybe exercise and fitness and going for runs and cycles will have a little spike or a little low. But I think the advantages you get outside of diabetes are mm. fully worth the bent, you know, the, the, those little blips in, in diabetes control. And I think it's important to remember that. Um, and certainly that's the impression I get from you is that fitness can be a huge tool um, in managing diabetes, but also just beneficial outside of the condition as well. 100%, 100%, it's a huge, it's, um, it, it ties, in fact, cause the three pillars, right? There's food, fitness, and I guess, uh, you know, there's, well, there's physical and mental health and then, then food, I suppose, right? And they all, they all feed really nicely into each other. Um, and it's a very good point you make about, you know, someone being able to, to manage, manage a perfect range of not doing other things. So you just, they, they just have it perfectly controlled, like to the grain, don't you? And that's boring, who wants that, right? <laughs> a lot of, a lot, a lot of fitness, for, a lot of fitness, like, fitness types with type one will, will, will deliberately put themselves high before mm. working out because they know what's so, so like you said but it, overall it is so much worth having these little blips on your glucometer versus how you feel and pardon me how you feel inside fitness is such fitness has so many benefits for mental health and 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 it feeds into your the overall routine so nicely because after you've um, yeah, you, you've had like I'm sure after like a really amazing session in the pool, like a really hard session in the pool. For me, it's usually in the gym or whatever. I'm not going to come out. I'm not. I'm not going to eat crap. No. You know, generally speaking, you know, so it means that you're not sitting there eating, um, you know, an un un quote un unhealthy and quote meal. But you know, you, if you have like a really good, um, really good exercise session, you're going to want to fuel yourself with like good, wholesome, healthy stuff. So then, that, that, that's your next meal, like taken care of. You know, when you start the day with a workout, you feel amazing for the rest of it. Yeah. You know? And then yeah. you're likely to make better choices with your food that day. 100%. I think, I think as what, you know, that, that mental benefit you get, you know, if you start the day, you go for a run, you do a workout in the gym, you do, you do a swim, whatever, you go for a cycle, you, you know, it could be nine o'clock in the morning and you feel a million dollars because, you know, you've got up, you've, you've done something active and it sets you up for the day. And I just think, you know, at the minute I'm kind of in the routine of getting up and either doing a cycle or, or going for a run. And yes, maybe I have to come up to nine or 10 and then gradually come down as I'm doing it. But that benefit I get that, that, you know, that feeling that, right, I've accomplished something already and it sets you up for yeah. the day. Um, for me, for me, is worth it 100%. Um, and I think, you know, we're in this month now, this sort of diabetes awareness month. And I do think there needs to be, just personally speaking now, I do think there needs to be a balance between, you know, yes, definitely increasing awareness of what it is and definitely separating between type one and type two. I think that's very important. And obviously we've talked mm. about that, but also just that, um, yes, you can have a normal life, but a normal life is very different for different people. Um, and you know, my normal life is certainly has a sport involved and, and the same for yourself. Um, but, but equally, if you want to sit inside and you want to, um, you know, run a very tight ship and, and diabetes is your number one priority, then I think that's fine. I think there has to be some recognition that like we talked about right at the top of this podcast, it's, it's horses for courses um, and yeah. there were all yeah. different approaches. Um, and certainly for me, I think that's quite important. And, and one of the main reasons that I'm quite keen to do 
you know, I wouldn't call it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not into this whole interview thing. I think it's just important for for people that share a condition to almost just have a discussion. Um, yeah, no, agreed. agreed. Priorities for themselves are agreed, and that's again a good points to raise. I think for me, like I, I think yes, of course, my horses, of course, as you're right, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not suggesting that anybody <clears throat> who follows me, who I, I, I'm not trying to convert them into gym bunnies or anything like that. I would say that exercise is something that I would encourage. I encourage everyone, diabetic yeah. or otherwise, to, to get involved in. Like again, you don't have to like spend hours at the gym, but just just walk a bit. Mm-hmm. Like uh, just just I don't know. Just uh, it's oh god, I get like, I get kind of worked up when I think about it actually. And I know it's not fair because normal is very different for everybody, of course. Yeah. But like I I see someone. I, I'll be quite honest, and this this is an issue I see in my age quite a lot. I see someone just who is so patently overweight, just so absurdly unfit, and I'm just thinking you're, you're just killing yourself slowly, miserably, right? And it it doesn't have to take that much. Like just just walk an extra couple hundred steps to begin with, <laughs> or, or or just put it. Just do you need that third coffee with six sugars? Really, come on now. So, yeah. For me, exercise is something I would I would always prescribe, even if it's you know, even if it's something like you know, take the stairs, not the elevator, every day, and just watch what happens to you. You know, and I don't and I don't think it's asking too much for a lot of people. And when you see like the street, it's not just in Malaysia. I'm, 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 I feel like I'm picking on Malaysia just because I live here now. But you, know, you, look, you look at the strain that like obesity is putting on the NHS, and God forbid, in in America, it's a different conversation over there. Mm-hmm. And you just think there, it is so a lot of it, and a lot a lot of it is preventable obviously not type one and a lot of type two might not be but a lot of it is largely extremely preventable and manageable just by making these sensible decisions now these sensible decisions don't have to be work out in the gym for an hour five times a week but they might be park your car further further away so i think as far as awareness goes like there are plenty of angles to the awareness piece definitely one between type one and type two um but definitely that you can treat, well not treat, but you can prevent and manage pretty well um, type 2 diabetes with, with diet and exercise. You know, doesn't yeah. have to do. Some, uh, I don't know if you've come across Phil Graham, who does diabetic muscle and fitness. Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, I've downloaded his book and he says in, in there somewhere that um, in fact there are some people who say type 1 and type 2 should be considered entirely separate diseases. Mm. Because yeah, no, I've heard, there, yeah. There, there are similar I can't remember what he uses some very complicated words. He's a very smart guy in that book, but I can't remember what he says. But you know, they, they're similar in how they are affected, or they are concerned with insulin, but entirely different in their genesis. Yeah, right? and it's aside from 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 the treatment, or, or not even the treatment, but aside from 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 the liquid that's used. Um, it, yeah, they couldn't be further from it, and 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. And how you approach them, and certainly how they're considered, and. Yeah, no, I, I I would 100% agree with them, and and I yeah I'm familiar with them, and I think he puts out some amazing content, and I think, um, but yes, I would I would 100% agree with that, and that they they need to be, and I think certainly um, in media and and just you know people people walking down the street, I think it's very easy for people to just forget quite how different they are. Yeah, yeah, very true. You just hear, and, and and it doesn't help either when you see, and I'm sure you come across this, like in, in TV, in TV shows, films, and all this. There'll be there'll there, there'll be some joke about diabetes in there. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's not, be some, hard, it's not hard to find, is it? No, exactly. It's all which which is a which is a 
pain point of like when people you see on social media comments like oh just looking at this gives me diabetes like whoa whoa so yeah i think from an awareness perspective that'd be great to say too but also like it i would also just like to and maybe this this kind of feeds into what i'm trying to do in, in Malaysia is just encourage people just to be even if i say be healthier that sounds like i'm up here on my high horse you know looking down from my healthy ivory tower but the reality is like i drink i drink i used to smoke a lot of cigarettes and still have the occasional one when i drink um you know i'm not some golden boy i'm not i'm not a poster child for a healthy lifestyle like, yeah i know my my, my I, I post out a lot of fitness content on the kinetic diabetic but that's because i'm talking about using exercises that pillar yeah. but i also talk about drinking um and i talk about you know the reality of other things too so i, I want to say that awareness this is another angle for the awareness piece it's just like yes like i encourage you all to take greater concern or or, or take great greater curiosity in your condition but you really don't have to go all out just just understand like the benefits of what walking um, can do for you um you know and it, and it boils down to that you know th- that completely relatable um you know being a relatable presence on mm. uh, and, and and certainly you know allowing people to recognize that as you say yes you can have a drink yes you can do this um and i think that's why you know i was i was quite keen to have you on and and, and certainly um a big fan of, of, of yours just because i think that is you know we've talked about it in detail already but that, it, that there is a lack of that relatability with people um and certainly there's sort of this negative stigma when you say oh yeah you know i had six or seven beers you know you can that's absolutely yeah. fine <laughs> um and and you know and tomorrow you'll still be diabetic and it won't have hurt you too much um and i think it's important to yes have that approach where you know you're putting out important content and you're saying to people look it's about smart decisions but some of those decisions might mean you know yes going out with your friends and, and having a few drinks it's not something that um you know we're saying you know you need to be walking 10,000 steps a day staying in your room doing mm. your exercise and and then that's it no you can't do this no you can't do that no you can't do that and i think that's that's an important message to get across i'm glad you think so i'm glad because no, yeah it's it's it, the whole because i mean that that's a, that's a that's an issue with social media at large isn't it like this this whole instagram has become like a very filtered very curated very perfect looking feed for most people um, which is why i think tiktok has blown up because it's just silly and slapstick and it's just a different gen- generational thing literally for me i can't understand how tiktok works but um <laughs> but instagram in particular you know it's become this you know this glossy magazine's worth of of you know the perfect lifestyle and so and we, we and we do, definitely don't need to add to that you know as 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 diabetics raising awareness if you like like it's important for us to counter that so i'm i'm, I'm trying to do that a little bit too and just making people realize that as you just so rightly pointed out like i'm still going to be diabetic and deal with it then but for mm. now as long as i've tested my blood i'm going to have these beers yeah i guess yeah. um i guess as a final question and probably a cliche one and probably one you've been asked numerous times but i think it's quite important and i think everyone answers it differently that's why it's an interesting question but if um you know if we were sat here having this conversation and someone just joined in um joined in on the conversation who had been diagnosed you know today or yesterday um what would your number one i guess piece of advice for, for them be given you know we uh, 
as you say, for five years or, or for however many years you struggled with, you know, prioritizing it and, and, and admitting the condition. But now you've sort of done a reversal and, and you're trying to put out this, you know, this really important message. So for someone that had just been diagnosed, you know, today, um, what would your number one piece of advice for them be? Ooh, me, good question. I think, there are, I mean, there are plenty of things you could say, and I think we've touched on a few of these, of the statements already on this call, but I think at that stage, someone who was just diagnosed and has come to me like, I would just tell them to be curious. Like my number one rule for them would be be curious. Now that covers a whole range of kind of things, activities, if you like, which includes like testing your, like be, be not, not, so obsessive because uh, i think that that creates a sense of urgency which they don't need right now at this stage in their in their recently diagnosed state but i would just say be curious like be like take an active interest in what your body is telling you and what the blood and what your glucometer is telling you to you know test different foods what you know just be uh, just be interested in what's going on um, so keep testing your blood so be curious about your blood be curious about what different foods are doing to your blood. Be curious about, and I'm not saying I'm not saying like deliberately give yourself a hypo, but when you do get a hypo, like observe that, like see how you feel, how you feel during and after. Take take steps to do your own research. Like join the community on social media. Just be just be actively engaged and be curious about what what's because you've got the rest of your life to deal with it. Yeah. If you and you you've just been diagnosed, I'm not going to tell you to like accept it you know get on with it move on like you know you've got to own it next up you, you might say to someone just you've got to own it if someone if someone comes to you and they've been three years and they're just like i'm all over the place mm-hmm. you've got to say that you've got you've got it my advice to them is you've got to own it you, you unfortunately yeah you just have to step up unfortunately or fortunately as the case may be you just have to step up and and and, and take ownership of that of your condition somebody who's just been diagnosed doesn't want to, their world is crumbling around them so all I want to say is, all I would say to them is just look, just be curious, just just observe, and take an act, take an active interest. Um, yeah. Down the line, if they're still messing around a bit, you say right now you want to stand up and own it. But, yeah, no, it's definitely a stage <laughs> thing, and I think, mm. um, yeah, I think it, it, as you say, it's, it's it's about being curious and about you know so, so much of what we've talked about today is it's about individual approach, and I think that starts with you know the day you're diagnosed and, and how you're going to go about it and and also just listening to various people i'm sure there's people that look at um both of our pages and think you know that's a lot of rubbish and, that, and that's absolutely fine <laughs> and that's inevitable and and i think yeah. um it is it's about being curious and about finding out what works for you and remembering that it is a very individual condition um but i do think we've talked about and certainly touched on quite a lot of important topics and i do uh, really appreciate you you taking the time out of your day to join me no, mate, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I just have one, one question for you, and I'm just going to ask you the same one back. Um, yeah. Unless you can steal my answer if you like. I know it was a good one. What, what would you, uh, someone dialed in right now, um, and I asked you, and I asked you what you tell them, what would your advice be? Because especially for someone in your position who's like grown up, as you said, more or less grown up with it, or at least since the age of eight, so you've done a lot of growing up with the condition. Mm. Um, what would you say to somebody, though, maybe in my position? who was diagnosed at 20, like in the prime of student life, as it were, what what kind of would your advice be? Yeah, I think, you know, I certainly think uh, there were elements, or, or certainly what you said about being curious, I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think um, it's important for people to find out um, what works for them. And, and, and certainly I, I 
I went through that in the sense that because sport was so important for me, um, I had a very individual approach to it and certainly one that didn't mirror many other people. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing and certainly the biggest lesson I learned and certainly when I started to think about diabetes differently um, was when I could think about the, the, the sort of the positive aspects that diabetes was then going to bring to my life. Um, and, and for me, that was a real game changer. And I, I agree for someone that's just being diagnosed, that's very hard. But equally, it's the best time to hear it because you're being hit with something that culturally, you know, in the media and certainly by, you know, just by most people, um, it's something that isn't positive, you know, it's going to have a negative yes. effect on your life. And I think for mm. me, um, the sooner that you can realize that this condition, yes, it is awful and, and at times it's awful, but but certainly the lessons that it's taught me, I certainly wouldn't be as self-motivated, I wouldn't be as patient as I am, um, and I wouldn't be as willing to sort of listen to other people's opinions if I wasn't diabetic, um, because I can now acknowledge that there are numerous ways to manage that, and certainly at the minute I'm trying to be a sponge, and I think I really, really pushed back on that. As soon as I knew what I was doing with diabetes when I was diagnosed, it was like, right, I know what I'm doing, so don't tell me anymore. You've told me everything I need to know. And I went sort of head down, head in the sand, and I went about it the right way. And I, and I wish to a certain extent that when I'd been diagnosed, someone had said to me, look, what we're telling you is how to do it, but there's numerous other ways and really go out and find, and it, I guess it comes back um, you know, to what you were saying about being curious. But it's about finding the advantages that it's going to bring bring to your life, and and um, I think that's what I would say to someone. And and I agree, saying to someone, you need to find the positives in diabetes alone as a as a single statement is is no use at all. I can acknowledge that. But I think if you sit down with someone and say, look, there are positive things that are going to come out of this. Mm. It's not a solely negative condition. Um, I think I still think it's a useful thing to say to someone, regardless of their age. Yeah, for sure. That's 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 just a very good point. Telling telling them to say, oh, there are positives. As you say, that in itself isn't going to get them very far. But even no. if they understand that there can be positives, no, and then it's in your control. And um, I think it's something that you know you need to say to someone. Look, I acknowledge it's going to take you time, but it's a lesson that you need to keep falling back on because when you are fed up of it, when you are sick of having diabetes, being able to then fall back and say, look. What has the you know what has the condition given me and 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 now for a lot you know a lot further down the line, I certainly wouldn't be sat here doing a podcast with someone else who also has the condition. So I you know with time it's a lot easier to find those advantages. But I do think from day one, it's important to recognise that it is not a solely negative thing, and it's something that can bring about positive aspects in your life. Yeah, that's a very good point. Completely agreed. Perfect. Well, yeah, yeah. Sorry, mate, go on. No, I was just going to say, I'm, you know, I, uh, in terms of wrapping up, I think it, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the, how the project pans out for you. Um, and, and whether that is, you know, as you said, just continuing with the social media and hoping that, that that growing increases and that people are more aware and just putting out content that people can relate to, not only in Malaysia, um, because let's be honest, the type two pandemic, it, well, not pandemic, but the type two sort of prevalent. <laughs> getting getting all my words mixed up now. Um, but the type it feels two like prevalent. It feels like it, it feels like it might as well. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's certainly one that's maybe was in the limelight for a certain period of time, but seems to have gone unnoticed. Certainly. Um, 
and I think increasing the awareness of that can only be positive. Um, so I do wish you all the best and hopefully um, we can jump back and, and, and have another podcast again at some point because I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, mate. I would, that, would, that would be a pleasure. I'd love to sort of come back and report on hopefully some progress. Um, and if, and if, you, if you start seeing my posts in different languages, don't be alarmed. It's just a dialect, you know, but I think we're a way off that. But yeah, for sure, I, I'm looking forward to sort of um, creating a few more like little interesting people, hopefully interesting at least here and there. Um, yeah, but it's all down to people like you, of course, who are inviting me to speak about them. So I really appreciate your time, uh, Ali. Thank you very much for that. Um, and I have no doubt we'll talk again soon. No problem. So thank, well, good luck, Jacob. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Speak to you, you soon. Have a good weekend. Speak to you soon, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.